0: LA Podcast. We are here um, for a good time in Kenya, and you're just about to see fun videos coming through to you. I hope you continue watching.
1: All right, three, two, one. Welcome to the LA Podcast. Today, we have an interview that we've been looking forward to for a long time. We have co-founder of Horizon Empower the Orphaned, Jim Pesky. Thank you so much for being here. Good to be here. Yeah. Uh, so, we've talked about it before. We're doing the World Record Podcast. Very exciting um, stuff. We're going to be starting that on August 17th, and it'll run 53 hours, and... Uh, we are doing it all for a great cause. We're doing it for Horizon Empowered the Orphan, and that's why we have Jim in here to tell everybody what we're doing this for, who we're doing this for, who it helps, and how you can personally get involved and help out yourself. So, uh, Luke, you want to start us off? Let's get, a, let's get it going.
2: Well, I met Jim. When did I meet you? I think it was 2016 when you first had us come out to visit Baba Nubani mm-hmm. in Kenya. But when I met you, I was like, wow, this guy can just really get you talking about your life mm. but i think that people want to know about your life first of all i want i think people want to get to know you personally so
1: because there is no horizon empowered the exactly. without jim pesky so <laughs> if we get to know jim a little more maybe you'll know a little more about uh this great organization mm-hmm. um so how did you uh how did you get started um uh with philanthropy because uh you were telling me before uh, I, I have a problem. We were talking right before we started filming. I have a problem seeing the perspective of life. I'm 26 years old and I haven't really started my career yet. And I see a lot of people starting their careers. And immediately you <laughs> made me feel awesome. You, you're like, yeah, don't worry. You have tons of time. I didn't start this uh, business until I was 40 years old. Um, so how did you get started this late in life, uh, that late in life or at that point of your life, uh, with a project so big and so important as this,
3: well, are you talking about, uh, philanthropy or are you talking about getting involved in empowering orphaned children?
2: Um, uh, you, you, I think first starting yeah. with the philanthropy aspect and then moving into how the empower the orphan right, started.
3: Right. Okay. Good, good, good question. Um, yeah. So how much do I tell you? Without getting kicked off in the first five minutes, <laughs> but but I think I think I think I want your audience to know who can do this, um, because when you hear about you know going to countries and helping orphan children, and now we have kids in university mm-hmm. getting degrees, um, you know some of the kids we rescued off the street now pick us up at the airport mm-hmm. in their cars. I mean that's a hard thing. Well, you can think, wow, well, he can do that, but I can't. So so, when I started, I mean, you know, I got lost like many people in high school. Um, sports jock, no brain, hated school, could not see the meaning of education, mm-hmm. um, and then right away got into all the partying and all that, th- all that stuff, and, and um, dropped out of school, and basically spent ten years at the end of a joint, and it wasn't legal back then, mm-hmm. right, um, and then. Um, uh, knew that I wanted more, I had a lot of time to think, didn't do much. Um, and then I had some kind of crisis, which maybe I'll tell you about, maybe I won't. Okay. But I had a, a, a crisis meeting with somebody. And I really learned that I wanted to I really I really wanted to stop living for myself. Because it was a dead end, mm-hmm. it didn't bring any happiness, any joy. It was just going deeper and deeper into this black well, and so I decided that I really wanted to help. And so I decided at twenty, I think. Now I'm gonna let me let me let me start by saying this because my wife will listen to this. Mm-hmm. Every date I say, every time period I say, will be wrong. Yeah. <laughs>
1: okay. I'm she, not. I'm not great with dates okay. either. Okay. As a matter of fact, she, <laughs> we're gonna hold you to it. She yeah. counseled
3: me. She said. Uh, really be loose with your specifications mm-hmm. on dates and times because mm-hmm. you're always wrong. Yeah. she's usually sitting here with her head going like that. So anyway, um, yeah at, at around 28, um, sales guy, house, wife sold everything and went to get my degree mm-hmm. in, um, in uh, it was a, it was a theology degree with a teaching major. Mm-hmm. and so went off got that. Uh, worked a million jobs, sold my car, did what I had to do, and then right away when I graduated, ended up working uh, up in Newmarket, Ontario. Oh, that's where we're from. I know. Yeah, and uh, right away got involved with the church up okay. there because they were the only people that would have me, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, right away got very disillusioned with church young people and the need and Mm -hmm. it was more like a babysitting club Mm -hmm. you know of kids that didn't want to be there so then my wife and I um, really had a heart for the kids living in Newmarket that were living on the streets Uh, back in those days which was a long time ago I won't tell you how long ago (laughs) there was a large contingent of punk rockers that Mm -hmm. lived on the streets right Mm -hmm. and we really wanted to reach out to them and and get to know those kids and then uh, ended up going to see the mayor of new market. Um, he's gone now. His name was Ray 20.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. There's That's an arena. arena. There's an yes. arena with his namesake. Yeah.
3: And I saw Ray and Ray's an Italian guy like myself. And mm-hmm. and I said, uh, you know, you don't know me, but I really want to help the youth in this town. And he goes, well, he says, uh, he says, what do you need from me? Money? And I went, well, I don't need money. I mm-hmm. said, I need a building. And he says, a building, you want me to give you a building? And I said, yeah. I, I said, I, if you give me a building, I can gather these kids and make a difference in their lives, especially all the kids that are living in your park and walking up and down your streets. You, in those days, there was a lot of mm-hmm. young kids doing that. He looked at me and he goes, Jimmy, he goes, you know those whacked out kids on Main Street? And I go, which ones? And he goes, you know, the ones with the big huge mohawks and the piercings and the earrings and the, they're punk rockers in those days. Right. Call them. And he says, if you can change them, Promise me you can change them. He says you can have the building. So he gave me the old town hall, something like six thousand square feet. Wow! It's where the old jail used to be in Newmarket. Okay. Okay. Bars yeah. and everything, and he gave that to me. And he says, "Go do your stuff." And we were we worked out of there with young people for I'm I'm trying to think what my wife would say four or five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and by the time we were finished, we were working with over three hundred youth wow. in Newmarket.
1: Just from Newmarket alone? Just
3: Newmarket, Aurora, Bradford, yeah. Hall and Landing. Right. Um, we were bussing them in. We were doing everything from education to counseling to mentoring to fathering. Mm-hmm. Um, I was renting townhomes. My wife and I were renting townhomes to give guys beds. Uh, our coach was always filled with mm-hmm. people sleeping over. <laughs> um, and that's that was my entrance into philanthropy because it was the hardest thing that we've ever done. But that's when I learned... To to understand what real reward feels like, and significance feels like, and purpose feels like.
1: Right. I think um, a lot of people, especially that live uh, in privileged areas like Newmarket, a lot of people wouldn't under or wouldn't see that type of struggling among our youth. Um, so maybe uh, we don't have to mention any names. Obviously, we shouldn't mention any names. But is there a specific story about um, a kid that you helped that maybe you can put it into perspective that? there is struggling around us. We may just not have our eyes open to it.
3: Um, well, you know what? Um, I work in, you know, I work in Kenya. I work in Guatemala. We now work in Honduras. Um, um, every other free moment I have, I work in Toronto, downtown mm-hmm. Parkdale. Right. Yeah. With um, about 500 kids, uh, mostly new immigrant kids mm-hmm. um, and mostly at risk kids. Um, and, So there's, so there's just so many stories, Mm -hmm. um, but you don't have to go far to see it. Yeah. You you don't have to go far to see it, but if you don't want to see it, you'll never see it. Uh, Yeah. That's what I mean. Right. Yeah. It's it's
1: almost like we unknowingly turn a blind eye to it sometimes where it's, it's more comfortable not to notice it subconsciously. Yeah. Almost. And then when you really start to notice it, you start to think like, wow, like there is so much more I could be doing around my neighborhood than I am at this moment kind
3: of thing. If you have the guts to roll up your sleeves and get messy, because mm-hmm. it's the messiest business in the world, but it's also the most rewarding business in the world.
2: Well, one one example I was thinking of, it might not be um, an individual case, but it was um, you rented out an entire uh, camp and brought how many kids? 150. For their first ever experience at a camp. Yeah.
3: So, okay. So, and this is, has nothing to do with Horizon, but it has the same thing as Horizon. Right. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, we have a cottage too. You know, you're at your dad's cottage on the weekend. Yep. So we have, we, we you know, we never had a cottage. We were brought up pretty meager. Uh, we mm-hmm. weren't poor, but we didn't have much. And long and short of it is my wife and I open up a chicken company that just goes skyrockets, kaboom, and at 40-something years old, I buy a cottage and we build it and we landscape it and... You know, Saturday nights, I'm sitting on the dock and looking at this, you know, sun go down and having a glass of wine and going, yeah, this is just awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, this is like, who am I to have this? Right. Well, the thing is that everyone's connected all over the world now because now all these kids are following me on Instagram. The kids in Kenya, (laughs) the kids in Guatemala, you know, the kids in Toronto. Right. And so I'd get these messages back. What's it like to swim in the lake? Um, How do you swim? How do you do a kayak? And I'm like, I'll get all these messages. And so I go down and talk to the kids and the, especially the new immigrant kids. They've <laughs> never seen the lake. Yeah. They've never been in a boat. Wow. They've never swam in a lake. And so being who I am, it's like, well, who the heck am I to sit here every weekend and enjoy this while well, I know that they've got the average kids I'm working with in the inner city, I would say there's anywhere from five to 15 in a one bedroom apartment. And here I've got a five-bedroom cottage that my wife and I Mm -hmm. inhabit. So then right away, being who I am, I said, okay, I I need to bring this to them. And right away my wife said, no, you're not bringing a bunch of these kids up to the cottage. And for good reasons. Yeah, You know, looks a little weird, old man taking young kids to his cottage. And I I get that. Mm -hmm. So then um, I just went to bat and phoned a bunch of camps and made some deals. um, Said, what's the best you can give me? I sold the story about these kids yeah and i got several camps that said well you know we'll give you all they said well you will we'll, ho- we'll host 30 kids in our camp and i went no 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 i want the camp yeah. i want the <laughs> whole camp mm-hmm. well, you can't do that yeah. well i want the camp what's it going to cost me and they came up with like think like the first year was 70 70 g's mm-hmm. and i went on the blower with even luke's mom and dad and uh raised a lot of money and we took we've been taking 120 to 150 kids away to camp every year for the last i think six or seven years
1: wow you know i've noticed the first just in the first two stories you've told us every time you want to go for something it seems like you almost like you're like i'm not settling i want this for these kids and i'm not taking no for an answer
2: which is pretty crazy it is it's an amazing (laughs) it's an amazing strategy
1: yeah immediately i thought of it i was like he wants a whole building <laughs> yeah. first, and now I want a whole camp.
2: Yeah, right. I which feel like I know why your awesome. chicken yeah. business blew up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You just go for it. Yeah, well, which I, is something I, I think people need to realize: is every you get you get in your own head and you think I can't do this, and you're living proof that just if you ask and you want it enough, you can get it.
2: Well, right. I feel like this is a great segue into. Like the I remember you telling me this story, the initial moment when you were at home and you realized there were children in other countries that desperately needed help. And I really want you to like paint a vivid image of what was going through your head and then how it came to fruition that you actually ended up I, I'm sorry, I feel like I'm gonna like impede on the story, giving mm-hmm. away too much, but you know you know what happened and I want you to explain to the audience exactly.
3: Alright, yeah. So so um There's a reason why I ask big. Mm -hmm. And if you guys want to ask me that later, you can ask me that. Yeah. But, um, but I am, I am a man who has learned to pray. Let's just say that. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I was downstairs at our, in Newmark and no Keswick. We had moved to Keswick. Mm -hmm. We were working with tons of youth already doing more good than most people do in a lifetime. Right. Um, And uh, my wife had, two big, beautiful T-bone steaks on the counter and uh, barbecue was going. And it was just one of those Saturday nights where it was gonna be, you know, just sitting out back and and having a good time. And I I went downstairs to catch the end of a golf game. And uh, one of those commercials came on by one of those wonderful organizations. And I mean wonderful, they're all wonderful organizations. Mm -hmm. But back in those days, they didn't show the happy kids, the smiling kids that they show now Mm -hmm. because they're trying to get away from the whole pity cell, Yeah, right? In those days, they showed kids sitting on garbage heaps with flies in their eyes and mouth wounds and stuff like that. And I remember, probably saw this commercial maybe 15 times in the last month. And I remember looking at that and seeing this little girl sitting on a garbage heap. And I said to myself, like, I just, I didn't know whether to swear or scream or cry. Mm Mm-hmm because i know how real that is like that's that real little girl's real life that's not stage mm-hmm. stuff and i remember i remember losing it and grabbing the converter and throwing it against the wall and looking up and just and it was like sincere from my heart I, don't show me this shit unless you're going to give me an opportunity to do something about it mm-hmm. because because my feelings aren't going to help nobody
0: mm-hmm.
3: now at the time i'm not worth anything i mean i can't afford a ticket to florida never mind the world yeah and i don't even know how i'm going to go I'm, I'm putting groceries on my table and helping the kids that i'm working with in keswick now and i'm like i don't even know but that was their prayer and i turned the tv off and i went upstairs and drowned myself in some good red wine and <laughs> a big steak <laughs> yeah. and and it's funny Because um, a friend of mine, who had a friend of mine, who had a friend of mine, introduced me to this guy's book. I read the guy's book. He's an American. I phoned the guy after I read his book and said, Here I go again. Yeah. You need to mentor me. And he's like, Who the heck are you? I said, My name's Jim Pesky and I'm in Toronto, Canada. Yeah, I don't come up there. You're going to mentor me. 'Cause he was had this this book was really good on philanthropy and reaching out others and, mm-hmm. and teaching and stuff like that. Anyway, long story short, he meets me at a conference by accident uh, a year later and hears me teach. I'm the teacher before him. Yeah. And he's like kinda of walks up and he goes, Have you ever traveled? And I went, No. And he goes, have uh he goes, have you you should be traveling, teaching around the world? And I went, Yeah, okay. I, I have mm-hmm. trouble putting gas in the car. <laughs> and then I know who this guy is. He yeah. doesn't know who I am. And I go, oh, so he, I go he, the, con- the conversation didn't come up? I go, do, oh. do you know who I am? Yeah. And he goes, no, who, who are you? I says. he says, your name's on the pamphlet. I said, you don't remember it? And he goes, no. I go, I'm the guy that's been hounding you for the last year to mentor me. And he goes, are you kidding me? <laughs> and he goes, we need to go to lunch. Went to lunch, my wife met his wife, they hit it off. Phoned me a month later and said, I'm going to Kenya. Can you come and teach? And i said i don't have any money and he says i'll buy your tickets hotel everything and that was my initiation to go to kenya
1: right wow
2: and then when you get to kenya you do a seminar right and then something came up where there was an opportunity to go check out one of your friends operations yeah so if you could dive into that now
3: all right so i'm in i'm in nairobi which is like toronto canada uh, I'm in a, I'm in a conference that I think there was like, I'm thinking three, 3,000 people. Right. Um, and, um, I was one of the keynote teachers and I'm teaching and anyway, it seems that I can connect with Kenyans really well. Who knew <laughs> yeah. that an Italian and Kenyans yeah. can just jive. Uh, I was driving, a, <laughs> I was jiving a, with them a whole lot better than what in Italian we call Munja the white people. Me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, um, so, the, so these guys are from all over Kenya. Mm-hmm. I'm talking three, 400 miles away. Yeah, And so anyway, they talked to the, 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 the people running the conference. We want Jimmy in our village. We want Jimmy in our town, blah, blah, blah. So they sit me down. They go, can you stay another week and a half? And I went, I guess, what am I doing? And they said, you're going to fly to this city and speak for three days. You're going to fly to this city and speak. And I'm like, what is going on here, <laughs> yeah. right? Shaking and moving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't have the money. And the guy who brought me, Larry, he says, I'll cover all your payments. He says, you need to go teach. It's your time. Mm-hmm. Well, my wife, my wife has always backed me up 100%. And so anyway, I fly into this little town called Eldoret. Luke's been there. Mm-hmm. And Kenya runs on a different time schedule than the rest of the world. <laughs> they forgot about me. <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> <No way. laughs> so here I am in a city of
3: 100,000 people with no cell phone, yeah. no connection to anybody, and can't speak the language. So what did I do? I just walked the streets and I, and that's when I ended up, that was my initiation, to street children, right? Because they're just thinking, you know, Mzungu, Mzungu, which means white guy. Yeah. They've not seen a white guy. So I've got all these street kids and I'm buying them French fries and whatever I can and stuff like that. Finally, these people come to the hotel, hunt me down and they say, Oh, here you are. We're sorry. We're late. You can teach. Yeah. So I'm in this town, a buddy from Muskoka phones and says, where are you? And I said, I'm in this town called Eldorette. And he goes, I'm supporting a children's home in Juacali, which is a 20 minute drive from Eldoret. Yeah. He goes, I'm just hearing mixed messages about it. He says, there's something uneasy about money and how much they need. And he says, can you go smoke it out for me? Just check it out. Yeah. And I said, sure, I'll go check it out. So the next day I'm off, I, I get one of the Pastures there to 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 get me. I'm a tattoo, which is like a taxi on drugs, and uh, <laughs> you know it's got chickens on it and goats and <laughs> yeah. people hanging off bumpers and yeah. It, yeah. the whole type. You don't know how to pray? Yeah. You'll pray there. Yeah, the <laughs>
1: clarification there was needed because I was like taxi, like is a double decker
2: taxi? No, no, like, no, it's no. like out
3: of Hooville. It, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly Whoville. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it has like seven seats, but it's mm-hmm. holding thirty people
2: <laughs> okay.
0: with
3: the chickens and the goats. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, we go to Juicali, we we go to this this place, and I walk onto this compound, and what I see is 75 children, all in various stages of malnutrition. Mm -hmm. Swollen bellies, saddened eyes, um, uh, skin sores on their head, and there's one lady uh, running the whole thing, that's it. Mm -hmm. And I look over and I see a small fire, and they've got old running shoes and they're burning their running shoes and they're grabbing corn from the neighbor's field and cook trying to cook the corn on the burning running shoes. And that was my initiation into the need. Yeah, Very long story of how they got that way. Yeah. Uh, too long. Very long story of really what was going on there from what I saw. Mm-hmm. But the truth was that there were 75 children starving to death. Yeah. And so... And not
1: nothing... I, at that point, nothing else matters other than helping them.
3: Oh, no, I, I phoned my wife. And, and like I said, in those days, we did not have any money. And I phoned my wife and I forget the number, but I'm pretty sure it was near six, seven grand. And I said, here's what's going on. I'm staying another week. Mm-hmm. I bought a tent to sleep on the compound because I can't sleep with the kids. And my wife sent wired me the six grand and I went out and bought shoes and clothes and enough food for a month. And anyway, there was not leadership there. For various reasons there was leadership but it wasn't a functional leadership Mm -hmm. and after about five or six months especially with the help of my daughter nicole uh we figured out what was going on and the government and the authorities and the elders in kenya the elders have all the power they're like our mps okay but the president the president won't go against the elders the local elders okay they just it's your town what are we doing Mm -hmm. they met with me and said we want to give you this children's home because you love and you take care and you're sincere uh, and we're going to take it off to people that started it. So I went home three weeks later, owning a children's home, seventy-five
2: kids mm-hmm. in Kenya. In Kenya,
3: <laughs> and that was my initiation into the, the work.
1: Wow, that's, a, <laughs> and that's an amazing story.
2: Oh yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And then, like, you got to see when the elders get together and have meetings. It's like one of the best things you'll ever watch. There's music, there's dancing. It's a like, whole ceremony. It's a
3: whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Pomp and well, but they have the British influence. Yeah. So for every time you gather, there's incredible pomp and ceremony. But mm-hmm. like you're in the middle of nowhere in these dirt fields with giraffes walking around. Everyone's in a suit and tie. Yeah. Right. And you would think there's no dirt in Africa. They're so clean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't yeah. keep a pair of shoes clean there. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, you said your uh, daughter went down there. Did I, like you had told me she stayed there for a full like six months, year, like wrong really in settling I think I think
3: it. I, again, I might get this wrong, but it was over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so so Nicole was sixteen. Didn't really know wanted want to do with her with her, life, with her life right, and we knew it would be good for her to travel out of Keswick and see the world. Right, and Nicole's a born leader, um, and so um, and we needed somebody there on site to manage. I mean, you're sending so much money every month, so you want to make sure it's getting into the right hands and it's getting to the children, because a lot of politics over there and mm-hmm. corruption. Um, so anyway, we put Nicole on site, and and Nicole was the one that figured out what was going on. Who were the good leaders? Who were the leaders that were a little bit suspect? Mm -hmm. Um, The money train, how much money was going to the kids and where the rest of the money was, she found it all to the point where she had death threats on her life. Wow! So she'd come out, she lived in a mud hut with a grass roof, Mm -hmm. no running water, no electricity, no toilet, Mm -hmm. she she lived in that for a year. And she'd come out and, and there would be cats hanging dead from her. Like witchcraft stuff like that. Yeah. Notes: We're gonna kill you. Stuff like this. And Nicole was like at that time seventeen. Yeah. So she ended up running the children's home for that year.
2: Seventeen. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. She's still in therapy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so am I. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These days. Well, that's that's one thing you say. Um, for example, like I remember my first time walking into Baba Nubani. Um, you said to uh, or you said to the children. Like they come here because you guys are happy and they're not. I don't know if I'm getting that right, but like you're basically saying a lot of North Americans struggle with finding what really makes them happy in life. Whereas these kids grow up with basically nothing. And they're some of the happiest people you'll ever meet Mm -hmm. in the world. So I felt that was a very powerful message when I walked in through those gates. And I almost want you to like paint a vivid image for someone who's never been there of what it is like to walk through the gates of baba nubani and see this basically a paradise in the middle of nowhere like it's really shocking
3: yeah yeah so so i mean right away um we wanted to get away from orphanage yeah there's a stigma to it it's institutionalized right Mm -hmm. and so um i was i was there at that time four or five times a year for weeks at a time, mm-hmm. right? Because I had to be for leadership. Um, and so what well, what we came up with was, let's build a village. Right? Because mm-hmm. if you watch the rural Kenyans around the kids in the farming areas you see it's it's a community yeah and everybody takes care of each other and everybody's connected and if he has chickens she has milk she has greens i mean it mm-hmm. just all works yeah mm-hmm. and there's life and everyone's sitting under a tree at night like in italy on the you know cafe having a right. espresso i mean everybody's under a tree at night talking yeah and i said how do we recreate that so we came up with the micro community uh which basically for simplicity's sake it's got a home for the children, it's got a farm that produces food for the children, and they work in. And then it's got your institutional, which is which is academic, and then um, trade, mm-hmm. right? But it's all in one compound. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all it's all right there. So when you walk into Baba Navani, I mean, you're walking into you're walking into something that is mystical. Uh, I've heard. I've, I've brought over now over 400 guests myself, mm-hmm. uh, Luke and his family being some of them. And, and people say, I've never felt peace like this. I've never seen joy like this. Um, you can, you can literally touch and feel the tranquility mm-hmm. of the place. It's like, it's, it's other earthly. Yeah. Um, and it has a lot to do with who, who these children are mm-hmm. Yeah, and the effect they have on you.
2: Right. Well, and like before we hop in because I do have a question with regard to like learning about individual stories of the children but how um, you've managed to make these micro communities um, self-sufficient like if you could dive into how the how the farms run um, how they produce their own food mm-hmm. like it, it's it's really astonishing um literally all the teachers like, are a part of the community in a weird way it's like it's hard for me to sit here and really break it down like i want you to dive more into i
1: think it just reflects on what we were talking about earlier about um going big and asking right because a lot of people would like would see this problem and and they wouldn't get to the to the nitty-gritty of like where okay where's the money going where's this going where's that going um it seems like you've almost thought of every angle. And, uh, I read something on your website, the, uh, from scarcity to abundance. Mm -hmm. And I I really liked that because, um, it's, uh, it's almost, it's almost like you're, you're not only just thinking of their basic survival needs, you're thinking of them as people, which Mm -hmm. I think from all the way over here might be a little harder to do. Right. Right. Right, right. And then when it's in front of you, you really feel it. And that's that, that tranquility, that you were talking about you you can you can feel it and you can feel the humanity yeah. uh when you're there so um i don't that's not really even a question it's mostly just <laughs> yeah, like a statement comments. because i'm in awe right i don't now. know to I'm in to right of that now. Well, i'm my, honestly in awe right so of, mine is like i didn't know about the micro communities like luke is just teaching me about that now. i like, remember that's awesome. when that's awesome. we
2: first that's went there there were like one or two tomato farms and you were talking about how you guys became like the number one producer of tomatoes oh, right in yeah. the community and i don't know if it was community but all of kenya and now I go there, and there's like 50 million crops. It's like
1: it's like yeah. a factory. It's crazy. Uh, yeah. All right. All right. So, so, how did you turn this it, small it, into a massive? It, it wasn't me.
3: Number yeah. one, let's get that really clear. We'd all be starving still, but be playing soccer all day if it was just me. Yeah. Uh, or basketball. Um, so, two things. One, our board and my co-founder and close friend Daryl Heller. Um, my, our whole board are all very successful businessmen. Very successful. So Mm -hmm. they have good business mindsets, right? The other half of the board are pastors who also own businesses. Mm -hmm. So everybody that when we get together has that business acumen. 100%, right? Two, one of our key values is dignity. And if you want to rob somebody of their dignity, keep shoveling out stuff for them that they don't ask for or something that they could do themselves for themselves, right? So we wanted to guard the kids' dignity. We Mm -hmm. wanted to remove that stigma of orphan. We call them orphaned children, Mm -hmm. but they're not orphans, right? So how do we guard dignity? And number three, we have, and I'll say this, and who cares, I'll probably get in trouble, but a lot of my board are exiting Mennonites from really tight, closed communities Mm -hmm. in the South. And, and the religious part, the religious part that nobody likes. Yeah, Let's just say that. Everybody likes God. It's the religious part we yeah. struggle with, okay? It's
1: the rules and- yeah,
3: All that the stuff, yeah and, the, yeah, and the politics and all yeah. that. So the whole thing about donations, donations. Well, we didn't want to keep going to the Diane and Tom Mitchell's of the world going, we're trying to feed another 60 kids, can you write us another check? Yeah, My board gets rashes when they hear that kind of talk. So how do we generate income? So that we can get to self-sustainability. Mm-hmm. The goal was 100% self self-sustainability. I don't. We're still not there. Uh, we're learning all the time, mm-hmm. right? But we have gone from like 10% to I think last numbers I heard were up around, over 50% self-sustainability. Wow. So how's it work? Okay, it's really wonderful, beautiful thing. Yeah. Okay. So you've got you need protein, mm-hmm. you need vitamin C, and you need vegetables, and you need um, calcium. Mm -hmm. to grow a body yeah (laughs) okay yeah you can't do that eating spinach yeah okay so we have chickens right um and so we have layers right and then we have cows, and we have milk, and, and and everything I'm telling you is we went through a journey all the way of how absolutely not to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to today, we're pro- today the, the government comes and says, "Teach us." Yeah. Other children's homes, because we got we got children's home of the year. Forget you. Wow. Other children's home come and say, "Can you teach us?" That's because we've made so many mistakes. Okay, mm-hmm. so we have we have the eggs, we have the milk, vitamin C. How do you get vitamin C? So we grew all these orange trees. Well, orange trees don't grow that well in Florida. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so eighty or eighty orange trees went out the door the first year. <laughs> yeah, and everybody's got scurvy. Yeah, but yeah. But, but then we uh, said oh, tomatoes. There's a yeah. shortage of tomatoes, right? And then we knew these guys that had these um, um, tents that they would grow stuff in the greenhouses, yeah. right? And we got to know them and pitch the visions. Long and short of it is is um, the kids get to eat the eggs and drink the milk, eat the tomatoes, and eat the greens. Mm-hmm. They're fed well. Matter of fact, if you saw our kids, they're bigger than you guys. <laughs> yeah. and they're, and they're, aren't they? Yeah. And they're 12 years old. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't want to fight them. No,
1: I'm not a fighter in general. Well, Kenyans yeah, you don't are look like, like a fighter. No. <laughs> Kenyans
2: are de- like, they're dense. Oh. You know, like good. they're very, they they almost have like that skinny strength. Like they're not skinny, but they're like not. Like, wiry. Yeah. like Exactly.
3: Wiry. Yeah. A lot of strength. Like Sammy, for body. example. Oh. That
2: guy is, ridiculous. he's like 55 and we had a little like joking around wrestling match and he was throwing me around. He's
3: very strong. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So the kids, so the kids eat the produce, mm-hmm. Right. But we're producing more all right now here's the brilliance another part of it is not every kid that's been traumatized by being orphaned because some have lived on the street for years uh many of the girls have been molested and raped and become slaves child slaves messes with your head and and then we say hey here's the good news we're sending you to high school how well do you think they function
1: not Yeah. I yeah. Couldn't imagine. Yeah.
3: So, so, and a lot of the boys have been, you know, they, everybody huffs glue in Kenya when yeah. you live on the streets because it's just, when people say, why do they huff glue? Well, why do you drink wine or why do you smoke a joint? Yeah. Hello. We're, we're all num- we're all numbing yeah. to some extent. So, so to get them off the glue and get their brains back to it, right? So not everyone's going to go the academic route. Well, then they need a trade, right? Well, when our kids come out, every single kid knows how to farm chickens, farm cows, Grow tomatoes in a greenhouse, right, and wow. and that, and then number three, we started to produce so much that now we're you know, exporting eggs to the sedan. Mm-hmm. We're supplying sedan, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're we're supplying tomatoes to the major grocery grocery chains. Chains, and there's a lineup of pickup trucks that, at our gate every morning at our gates mm-hmm. of our communities that pick up milk, and so we're making. I don't want to say how much money we're making. Yeah, but but that money is putting the kids into school, and I think I'm thinking this this year we have 46 kids going to university. Wow, that's a big nut.
1: That's a huge yeah yeah yeah. That's that's more than some high schools in the United States.
3: Oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah. So so that that's the brilliance behind the micro community and and how it works. So 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 you know, Aaron, you're coming out, and if if things just don't work out and You find a girl and you get married and you get pregnant and you're in a little village. We're going to, and you were really good in the tomatoes. Mm -hmm. Horizon's going to buy you a greenhouse. It's going to cost us six grand. And that greenhouse will keep you in an income the rest of your life, a good income. That's crazy.
2: I didn't know that part. That's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. That really is amazing. Now, the
3: big surprise was the higher majority of kids have gone the academic route. Yeah. We've got kids with degrees working it's a in banks. Thirst for knowledge, I feel like. I have no idea what it is, but we've we thought maybe a third of the kids would make it that high. All right, we have we have so many kids in university right now; it's crazy. Mm-hmm.
2: So, what yeah. percentage would you say is I, I half? Would,
3: I would say at more than half. Wow! Yeah,
2: that's really shocking. More than
3: half. So we we have we have we have kids right now that are working in banks. We have kids right now that are police officers. We have kids, many kids right now that are grade and high school teachers uh we have one girl that's been invited to be a professor at uh university of nairobi Mm -hmm. um we have farmers like we have There, you can go to their place today they're successful they've made it
2: well even when i when i'm there and i'm walking the kids to school there will be locals with beautiful homes and their own farm and they'll be waving and being and then they'll be like oh that was a guy who used to live at the orphanage. And I'm like, that's crazy. He yeah. just gets to see the kids every day. He'll yeah. pop by, pay a visit. Like it's a, and, and the surrounding community it really like is accepting of the orphanage. Like they're very on board with it. And uh, yeah. And, and the community aspect within it is, is another crazy part, you know, cause it's like, not only do the kids um, learn how to farm, but they're in their own teams, right? Like you set up, there's a new thing you guys set up. It's each individual family, almost like at Hogwarts, where they have like Gryffindor, Hufflepuff. But yeah. like they wanted to create that family aspect. Yeah. And it, it, I don't know.
1: Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I believe it's number two, is the need to belong right after your basic uh, survival skills. Right. So I think that might be, I'm, I don't know, but that might be where you're going with that, right? You're... People that don't have a family of their own. You're trying to create a family and, a, and, a, and a, an ability to be or, or an opportunity to belong to something.
3: Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, there, there's, a, there's a huge global movement right now um, of deinstitutionalizing everything. Mm-hmm. And they're coming up with all these stats of what a kid growing up in an institution looks like. Statistics are like bikinis you know they show you a lot but they don't show you everything exactly right um, and so um, so so there, so there's if we're gonna do this we have to go with the times mm-hmm. So there are children's homes in Kenya that are very institutionalized. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the kids are brought up like in a police force thing. yeah they're closing them down right they're the, but, but they're not giving an alternative. No. So we're we're, we're going to close you down. Where are you going to put the kids back where they came from? Can you imagine that? Mm-hmm. You know, um, now we're not being closed down. Thank the Lord, because they love how we do things.
1: Is this the Kenyan government who are shutting Kenyan, them down? Ken,
3: yes. Okay. Um. And so, and Guatemala and Honduras. It's happening worldwide. Okay. Yeah.
1: And, um, I'm not educated on that. I just wanna like why why is that? Is it is it a perception thing of these institutions? Well, or it's is a,
3: it a I would say, I'm trying to think what my president would say to me right now because mm-hmm. he lives over there most of the time. It's not a perception, it's a reality for an institutionalized home or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Our places, I've lived on them, and everybody a lot of people disagree with me. But our places are not, they are more of a our kids know more about family than the average nuclear family in North America. And Luke can attest to that. Mm-hmm, definitely. The, the love, the laughter, the, the the concern for one another. Um, do you you know, do you miss your family? Yeah, I miss my mom and dad. They died, you know, but did you but are you okay? I got 70 brothers and sisters that I'm with every single night. Who gets this? And if you watch them, Aaron, the love between them is incredible. Mm-hmm. Now, the difference also is HI, i mean i had a horizon there's a lot of differentiators right Mm -hmm. another thing is yes absolutely the average people that work with children and they're doing a great job every one of them are they're doing the best they can right is you age out at 18. okay now picture luke being kicked out by tom and diane at 18. it it wouldn't be pretty No.
1: (laughs) i knew him i knew him before 18 and now i still know him I don't know if I'd kick them out. <laughs> <Yeah>. now <laughs> I don't think I like keeping them in house. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't <laughs> think they. On the I
3: don't think they have. But uh, <laughs> but um, but then they take the stats of those kids. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, we fed you, we rescued you off the streets, we kept you from getting pregnant. You're not a child slave. You're not in the sex business. Bam, you're 18. We gave you a high school. Now go. Mm-hmm. Over 80 percent of those kids uh, revert go, back. Re- yeah, completely because they they need that on so at horizon you you never age out Mm -hmm. yeah listen there's a hard course look at you're you're either going to be working and making a good living and supporting the kids the new kids we bring in or you're going to have a degree or you're going to have your own company but this Mm -hmm. is the expectation and we're going to get you there and if we have to kick your ass the whole way while we hug you we'll do it Mm -hmm. that let's let's be really clear on that part right but you don't age out. We have kids that are now thirty years old that are coming back once a month because it's home.
1: yeah, and, and i I know it might be a kind of a simplistic question, but um, so yeah. like how how do these kids react when somebody finally believes in them and they finally see potential in them when they're from uh, such a dire situation? Um, it's a simple question, but like to me, just the idea of it, it blows it blows my mind not having that and then all of a sudden having that and having such a supportive Sorry, what was the system qu- it's to go through. How, uh, how I, do, I
2: got it. Yeah, how got do kids it. react when they yeah. are put in I I know from Obed, I think Obed has quite the story. Yeah. That. Tell it. Well, I want you to tell it because you would tell it better, but no, no, <laughs> Obed kid, is a kid Luke, I donate so to there is, he is right there. We have him at the table.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's here for the round Obed's table here. discussion.
2: But uh, yeah, I think Obed came to Baba Nubani at the age of four, and the people who worked there told me that he tried to run away when he was four and five in the middle of the night. I think, where did he get to? He got like an hour away, walking. Yeah. Just walking, a four-year-old, because he missed his family. Mm-hmm. Like he, it was such a change of pace, and he couldn't understand why he was at this place when he had a mother, but the mother couldn't take care of him Mm -hmm. properly and adequately. So, I don't know. Maybe you can explain it better, but it was a bit of a shock for him. I think now, man, keep going. I think now he's really melded into it. And one of the things they told me there was when they have someone like, because I sponsor him, it's actually very easy to sponsor the children. It almost runs like Facebook. You you pick like which one you wanna sponsor and you can have interactive messages with them. You just type them up and send it. Um, and and I, I told him, if you wanna do much better in life, get good grades. And what I used for him to like create the motivation was I took like 500 photos with him, his friends all hanging out. And he loves taking photos. So every every time he gives me an update, I send him a new photo. Yeah. So it's almost like you're creating not only a community within, but then allowing people to message the children and keep it very... Um, Incentivized. Yeah. It, it it like shows them that not only within the community that they cared about, but exterior forces care about them as well. So it double motivates them. and And, and like, I almost feel like I don't want to sound corny and say I'm a th- like I, I, from Obed to be like a father figure. Cause I like, that's a reach, but it's, <laughs> it's like, uh, it's an, it's an extra motivation because he's like, okay, wow. Someone else cares about me enough to message me all the time. Care about my grades. Um, like take photos with me, high five me, play some soccer. Like there's just so many different things that,
1: it's, I, a per- like, it's, it's a person yeah and right? so like, many different layers to
2: it yeah it's very hard for me to explain it but especially because i feel like a lot of people when they go to like donate to like i know when we were growing up we had about 18 different sponsored children but i never got to meet any of them and i never really spoke to them other than like a letter once a year but this is like a completely different ball game it's like i've met the children multiple times like i know what Obed looks like i've heard him speak I play. I've played sports with him. I've gone to school with him. Like, it's so. It's so like. Uh, I don't. <laughs> no,
1: it's okay, man. I, I'm just trying to think. Embracing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a
2: completely different experience. So. Yeah, and that's. Like. And that's just one. And yeah. that's just
1: one kid that's being yeah, exactly. helped. Exactly. So and they're all different. They're all yeah. Uh, and that's why we want to help such a great organization but, like this. Is but that like the there thing, are thousands of individual stories just like that. Yeah. That they need that kind of support too. And there's more people out there that need it.
2: but, but the thing that we could, I kind of veered off of like what is it like for the children when they first get there like the shock of it and then how long it usually takes like how long would you say it usually takes them fully. Adjust. Adjust. Um, Yeah, it really depends on each child. Um, Every child
3: and every human being handles trauma differently, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Some adjust very, very quickly. Um, Some, it can take a year or two. Right. Um, Obed was a little bit of a different cat. Um, I I can remember when he first came and, and, uh, and there were just so many kids there. It was crazy. And it was like, Obed, go to bed. And he'd walk down the hall. He was like four. And he'd walk back and he'd just look at me. And I'd say, Obed, go to bed. He'd walk down the hall, come back. And he'd go, Babu, I don't know how to. And I went, what do you mean you don't know how to? And he'd walk down the hall and they put him on the top bunk. So he would just <laughs> sit there and he'd look up oh, like yeah. this and go, I don't know how to. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I had to pick him up and put him up there. That's adorable. It is. but um, But... I, the thing that comes to mind when you ask that question, Aaron, is one of the big things is you know our ki- we, the board has decided and the founders have decided that if it's good enough for our kids it's good enough for those kids. Mm-hmm. That's our that's our level of excellence right So our kids and Luke's seen it our kids are they're not spoiled, but they're mm-hmm. taken well care of right And the question is is are these entitled? I have never sensed, well, yes, I have, one kid. (laughs) One kid, and that guy's a piece of work, and he's still a piece of work. But he was a piece of work when I met him. Mm -hmm. But the rest of the kids, there is zero entitlement. There's gratitude. Even when they graduate and go and get their own families, they come back and teach, Mm -hmm. mentor, and if the kids who make money, sponsor now. Other wow. kids. Yeah.
2: Wow. That's really cool. Very different attitude Full than circle. the
3: American mindset of that entitlement, daddy, daddy, daddy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, which I get. Right?
2: Um, So I don't know what, uh, what we should hop into next. I wanted to know some, like, some really fantastic, I, like I've heard them, like Doris is a great example of like an amazing story. I guess, yeah, let's segue into that. Like what are some of the best, not best, but like one of the, some of the most inspirational stories of like some children you met and their life through horizon and then what they're doing now
3: sure okay um, um I, okay so we you mentioned you mentioned Doris. yeah that's good enough. yeah yeah doris and Doris is i mean they're all like my kids that's mm-hmm. how i look at it it's a weird but i would say doris is is one that connected deeply with me um you guys will see when you have your own kids you'll be closer to some and not as close to the other mm-hmm. and it's just the way it is <laughs> yeah um Sorry, kids, I know that yeah, my kids did. are now listening to this. <laughs> no, you're, Tom, but you're all you're all unique. <laughs> Tom
2: and Diane, you know I'm your
3: favorite. <laughs> <laughs> settle it here. <laughs> yeah. So so uh so okay. So in the in the early days, um, when I first went, um, there was literally a lineup at the gate to see me mm-hmm. of people I never met in my life. And everybody had a story, you know. God told me to come and see you. Um, my dad's dying of 18 diseases and we have no food. Like I just, you know, and it was because there's Mzungu, white guy, and he's got money. And these, this is rural Africa. There's some pretty extensive poverty. Mm-hmm. So I get it. But the thing is you get donor fatigue. Like yeah. if I had to see another guy and hear another story, I'm going to puke because we're human, right?
1: Yeah, there's only so much. Yeah. And can and take.
3: then you find out that, you know, I had really good intel people on the inside and they go, yeah, that's not true. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that guy. No, he has five bicycles. No, that's not true. Yeah. Okay. So then he's like, uh, that, then you get skeptical. Yeah. Who do I believe? Is this real, right? now it's up. So you go through this journey mm-hmm. when you engage in this kind of stuff. So anyway, this guy kept bugging me, and I liked this guy. He was a good man. And he says, you got to come and see this. You got to come and see this. And and I put him off for days. Because and so if someone says, hey, we got to go for a walk to see something, it could be six days. Man. Yeah. They have no comprehension of distance and time. Yeah. Right. So I said, how far is it? He says, it's about a half an hour. So I know now it's an hour and a half, right? At least. So anyway, we go for a long walk over hills and now we are in the boonies of (laughs) Booneyville. Like there are there's no electricity. There's no running water. There are no roads.
1: And just for perception, only you two went? Just yeah. you two alone yeah. walking around walking. In, the, in the African yeah. savannah? I'm sure there <laughs> were
3: Kenyans there that saw me that have never, ever seen a white person. Yeah. There were crowds of kids either crying or running behind me. Wow. Like like there's a ghost. Mm-hmm. They, are, they are real. There's one. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Anyway, we come over this hill and um, it was a transformational point in my life. Um, Come over the hill, there's this mud, it's all mud huts, right? Grass roofs and the mud huts are all, Luke's seen them a million times, various stages of falling apart, right? Mm And there's a curtain for a door blowing in the wind. They
2: also have like full, f- full fledged fires in there, so the smokiest. You're oh, just inhaling, black. full yeah. out. They
1: don't understand that that is. Not
2: Maybe good. they do. They I don't do. know, but I they got to keep sure. warm somehow. Yeah. I guess any, Yeah, that's yeah.
3: true. Any, they're, they're cooking all their food. They don't, right. have, they don't have microwaves.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah.
3: So, so anyway, um, you could see, hot
2: plate. You could <laughs>
3: yeah. you could see in front of this mud hut. Um, two burial places. One was obviously very old because grass was growing on it and one was like fresh. There's nothing. So I said, what's that? And he goes, that's mom. She was buried years ago. A year ago she died of AIDS. And I said, well, what's that? And now he goes, that's dad. He just died a few weeks ago. And I went, whoa. So I said, is this what you want me to see? And he says, no. He says, go open the drape. And I opened the drape and there's these I think it was three or four kids, all sitting on the floor, hardly dressed, no furniture, no nothing, no food, nothing. And their eyes were like, are you here to kill us? Like, it wasn't a pretty sight. It was fear. It was fear, yeah. It was It was nerves, right? Mm-hmm. So right away, I got down on their level, got down on my knees, and I said, uh, do you want a bed? And they went, yes. And I said, would you like to go to school? And their eyes just got so big, and they went, yes. And I said, Okay. Let's go. And Doris, who at the time was she eight or nine, she grabbed my hand. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking down this path. And it's awkward. Like, what do you say? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. What do you say? Like, I'm a, I'm a white guy from Toronto. <laughs> what do I say? So I looked down at her and I'm trying to make con- conversation. And I said, hey, Doris. I said, so if you do go to school, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she looked at me. Now, you got to remember, there's no infrastructure anywhere in no. sight. No electricity, no road. There's no road. There's only paths. There's nothing. Just mud huts and paths and fields. And she goes, I want to be a banker. And I just about fell over. And in <laughs> yeah. my head, my honest response was, yeah, like hell. Yeah. You're nine. You've never been to school in your life. You're going to be a banker. Doris today has a master's degree in finance. And she works for Horizon. And she's awesome. Yeah. Yeah
1: awesome
2: i want to be a banker <laughs> and, <laughs> well, and, and so you want to be a banker yeah,
3: huh <laughs> and i and i went to see her i when i was with her uh, last february we were talking we were in the hotel having some dinner and some wine and uh and i mean she's a full-grown woman now and she's she she looks like uh uh obama's wife what's her name
1: michelle
3: he, she looks like michelle dresses like michelle talks like michelle it's
1: awesome yeah huh.
3: And I love Michelle. I think Michelle and her books are great. But anyway, Mm -hmm. um, so I said, remember remember walking down the path? And she goes, yeah. And I go, what the heck made you say that? Because now she's a woman. Yeah. And she goes... I've thought about that so often, and she goes, "I have no idea how those words came out of my mouth because I did not have a paradigm of what a banker was." Yeah, wow. And we both just said, "Let's just leave it as it is."
1: Divine intervention.
3: Something like yeah. something new, right? Well, so, wow. Yeah. Anyway, so she's the one that's got the master's degree in finance mm-hmm. and wants to work rescuing orphan girls because it's so tragic their story, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And she got a call, and the university, most prestigious university in Nairobi, called her and said, "If you'll do another year with us, we're going to offer you a professorship, which wow. is big money—yeah, hundred thousand dollars a year—and yeah. teaching, right?" And she turned it down. She says, "I want to rescue orphan children." Holy! Yeah,
2: it's crazy the mindset they gain by like being involved with Horizon. They really, it's like a lot of people, I'm not saying the children there, but like a lot of people can get lost in the money if they didn't have the proper upbringing. You know, like the, the Seattle GM of um, the Seahawks, Okay. he was explaining like, he's like, I, I was always angry until I learned about giving back. He's like, I made my first million and it wasn't enough. I made my first hundred million and it wasn't enough. I made my first billion and I was still angry. And then I learned to give back and it completely changed my life. Like, can you imagine that guy? It took him a billion to turn his life around.
1: That's but, John Snyder, if anyone wants yeah. to look up
2: that story. Um, but yeah, that just made me think of that guy explaining. It it,
3: yeah. it really is crazy. It is, it is. And that you know that leads me to, a, to something that we should talk about for the listeners, which is very important, is when we started this, right? And when you're privileged, American North American Canadian let's just lose the white privilege because it's being used to death mm-hmm. but they're, we're privileged right yeah you can't help but go and maybe you did it I'm not sure you can comment on it but you can't help and go I'm the fixer I'm the giver I'm the gonna you know I'm the one that's gonna come here and yeah. make this better mm-hmm. you only go a few times until you realize you're the receiver yeah you're the one that's being changed mm-hmm. inside, um, and almost
1: like a corruption being taken out of you. Reverse, yeah. yeah,
3: because because when you spend time, well, I've listen when I spend time with at-risk kids in Toronto, or kids in Kenya, or Guatemala. No matter where I am, it's there, right? I walk away, and you guys have heard this before. If you've read anything or listened to any podcast, you walk away a holer human being and a richer human being and a more learned human being. And, and two things, one of the things that we've learned is is that we don't go and fix anybody, right? Or help anybody. What happens is our their journey and our journey come together and as we journey together, we both become more whole. Mm-hmm. They give us some of the spirituality, some of the joy, some of the unconditional love, some of the deep rooted, beautiful character. Yes, we have some wealth. Yes, we have you know the ability to get you into a school. We we bring all those things, but I would say if there was a trade off, we're getting a better deal. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and that's what I would say to young people listening today. I have brought, like I said, almost four hundred people, many of them young people, and I have brought businessmen and businesswomen. I've brought whole families, and I have seen entire lives changed. On that point. William James, I think, said it: the great purpose of life is to live it for something that outlasts it. If you're living just for today for you, you know, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose your life. Right. But if you're going to give it, you're going to find what life's all about. Right. And I think the second thing after belonging, the third thing after belonging is meaning and significance.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Yeah. And I
3: think that's where our young people across the West are rotting yeah. and on drugs and on video games and bored because they, and don't want to have a job they hate to build a house they don't want to live in to pay off a mortgage that they don't think they yeah. need. <laughs> I get it. I'm glad they're all feeling that way. Yeah. But there's got to be an alternative to a new life. You just can't sit and surf all day.
1: Yeah, you have to try to fill the void instead of just avoid the void. Yes. Good. Look at this guy. Avoid the void. I like it. (laughs)
2: Yeah. But um, that was a very good explanation of what I was trying to say when I walked through the gates of Horizon. That that was like a very in-depth answer um, of what I was looking for. But moving on to – actually, I would love to hear another story. Is there is there another one that is very prominent? Sure,
3: sure, sure, sure. Well, I, I tell you the ones that there are hundreds of stories. Of course, um, let's <clears throat> let's
2: do them all. <laughs> yeah. but I got my notepad. I'll, I'll <laughs> start the fifty three hours right now. Let's uh, get them
3: going. I'll I'll tell you the ones that I'm most intimately was intimately part of, right? Because then it's it's real, yeah. And, and I know the people that are listening to this. As in Dora's story or Pamela's story will go, I was there, that's exactly how it went down. Mm-hmm. So at the first place, the one that I inherited, the children's home that we inherited um, just outside of Eldorette, before we moved to Bubba Numbani, um, uh, there was cornfields. They call it maize on both sides. Mm-hmm. And um, and I at those, those days, I was going like every two, three months because I needed to be there. Right. Because I was running things, I was leading things, I was developing. Things.
2: Well, even how how chaotic was it when you would get there? I mean, you were telling me you're maxing out credit cards. You were taking fifteen hour drives there and back. It was mad. Like how often did oh, you? Yeah. How many trips back and forth did you do? How many credit cards did you max? Like what the hell was it like?
3: Exactly, <laughs> just like you said. Yeah, like now we hop on a plane and we fly to our children's homes. Really- but, but in the early days, it was like it was uh, it was like twelve hour drive on a road with no road. Yeah. In the back of a pickup with a goat. Yeah. And you didn't know if you were going to get there in a day or two days. You, you were sleeping outside <laughs> at night. And, and a lot of times I had my kids with me. Right. You know? Uh,
2: and I've done – I we did like just a little drive, like a six-hour drive just to get a taste of it. And we almost killed 15 people <laughs> on these. Railways. Like the potholes are this deep. There's 500 people like moving and shaking the whole yeah. way – I saw Phil Kessel on the road. There's a guy in a Phil Kessel jersey. Oh. <laughs>
0: so, yeah. of the odds.
2: No, it, it was, it's just, it's just crazy. Like, and to think you were doing that multiple times a year, like it's it was really crazy. It was, it, yeah, it was. And I, and
3: I do want to say this, my, my, my family, the more I went, the more my family went. Right. So Debbie was coming, the kids were coming, the kids were staying for months at a time. You know, it's, it's made my children who they are today, even though they're all adults now. Um, and uh so yeah anyway so so uh doris i mean um pamela so so it's we're in mom, the
1: it's my mom's name so it's gonna <laughs> don't don't start <laughs>
3: to cry right? yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: so anyway it actually almost came close during the doris story it says i saw <laughs> most that. people do i saw that i was like oh yeah.
3: my god i saw that yeah so 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 you're we're in the compound and and this early compound that we didn't build was mud huts uh you know eight kids per bed it was you know somebody built it and left and they didn't think. Anyway, we inherited this mess. Uh, and it took us years to figure out how to do it and build Baba Nabani and our other sites. But um, after, after being there, I was notorious for meeting the neighbors. Mm-hmm. And the neighbors were notorious for coming and meeting me because maybe he can get my kids in school. I don't know how many kids we sponsored that weren't even our orphan kids in school because you have to pay school fees to go to school, right? Hundreds hundreds and sometimes i would just go out into a field for fun and just stand there with a bag of candy and i would have 800 kids around me in a a half an hour it was so i was well known Mm -hmm. so anyway i'm there one day and literally the corn opens up like this and there's this little girl and at the time she was five i think um and and her face was all um had sores she was she was in a, a a top that had more holes than fabric mm-hmm. and she was shaking cold and i and i said "kurja," which in swahili means come and as soon as I did that whoosh, corn the maze would shut and you're here and so this would happen like five times a day ten times a day at the most weirdest places i'd be going to the kaibo and corn would open up <laughs> and, and i'd say I? So, so i finally said who is that and they go that's they gave me her Kenyan name. I can't pronounce it, and I said, "What's your English name?" They go Pamela. So I I would I would yell Pamela. So at night I would yell out into the cornfield.
2: That is crazy. Yeah,
3: Pamela, Nakopenda, which means I love you, and I did that for two years. Whoa. Two years <sighs> while she's living. I found out we found out she had a mom and a dad, but her dad was abusing her, and had abused everybody, and was beating the mother. He was an alcoholic. And outside the orphanage gates, the gates. So anyway, um, one day after about it was near two years. One day after it, um, the van comes, and the van means Babu Grandpa's going, right? Mm-hmm. The van shows up, and everybody knows when the van shows up, Babu's going to the airport. He's leaving, and the corn opens up, and she's got tears coming down her face. And I said, "Pamela, cuja," right? And Corn shuts, and so that they put me in the van, and I'm in tears because I hate leaving a kid like that. Mm-hmm. And the van starts to go down this mud road, and Pamela is hoofing beside the van, and she yells out, "Babu, Nakupenda, I love you!" Mm-hmm. And then she ran back into the corn. And so now, you, you and now got I'm the response. Now I'm on a plane back. Yeah. God. Yeah. The, oh. the, the next trip, I come back, and the corn opens, and Pamela's standing there naked. And the whole, all the kids are with me. And I said, Pamela, Kuja, Kuja. And she came out of the corner and walked up to me. And I took my shirt off, put it on her, and hugged her. And uh, she became part of our community that day. And Pamela today is, I think, in her fourth year for um, hair design and uh, clothing design and stuff like that.
0: Wow. wow. Yeah,
2: yeah.
3: Pretty neat story. And she's like a daughter, too. That's yeah. amazing.
2: What th- uh, I feel like that cornfield story. There was another at uh, like I don't know, it's not even worth getting into. But that, that- there was a different. There was another part I remember to it that like the town witch or something was trying. Was that a different story? And saying- Kenya witchcraft is like a it's like a common thing, right? Yeah. And one of the children, <clears throat> I don't know if it was her, but one of the children was like escaping. Not only her parents trying to sell her to the town witch,
3: but like, oh, Grace, Grace right do you want to hear that story [SSSSSR] yes absolutely you really want to freak people out eh? yes
2: well i I want to i want people to hear just like what that one stood out to me for i would tell everyone that one because i'm like
1: you told me that one off air yeah i I was shocked it's
2: shocking like people don't understand what some of these children go mm -hmm. through and i think painting vivid image mm -hmm. i got that's a really bad one but i also want to hear like we've heard two like really powerful ones so
3: yeah, so, um, so there's a young couple in Pennsylvania, Caleb and Sarah, I'm still friends with them today. And they were in that stage in their marriage and their life where uh, we wanna see what's out there. We wanna experience, and we do know we wanna give our lives away. Mm-hmm. I said, come to Kenya with me. I say that a lot to a lot of people. <laughs> yeah.
2: Aaron, you're next. <laughs> <laughs>
3: and, uh, it's, it's working. and so, and so <laughs> Caleb and Sarah decide that they're gonna work at the children's home and stay six or seven months. And they're really good at going out into the rural country and, and meeting also the other neighbors and other kids and other needs. <clears throat> and they got to know um, Grace, who's an albino. So an albino is a, is a Kenyan who's white, mm-hmm. paper white. Yeah. Well, that's, the, you know, you got to remember, you know, you're, you're not dealing in Nairobi. You're in rural Kenya. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so people read that as she's cursed. People read that that it's a witch. It's a spell. People read that that she's evil and needs to die. She's being punished by God for her sins. Mm -hmm. Really weird crap. Right? So Grace spent a lot of time living in abandoned railroad houses. And cornfields. And um, Sarah got to know her the same way I got to know Pamela. But she she wouldn't come out. And Sarah got to know the grandmother who was like 80 years old Mm -hmm. trying to take care of this kid. You know, and she can barely live herself, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, the grandchild called her one night, called Sarah one night and said, you need to come and rescue Grace by tonight. And she goes, why? And she goes, because the town, um, they have a belief, they're very, like Luke says, witchcraft is rampant. Mm-hmm. It, it is, it's the state religion. It's not, it's not in the rural place. It's all witchcraft. Yeah. And they believe that if they take the organs uh, of an albino girl, and grind them and give them to a witch, it'll give you supernatural powers to curse people, right? So the town had planned that night that they were going to murder Grace, gutter, and get her organs to tan, I think it was terracotta, Terracana. yeah, I think it was And so uh, thank God for Walter, Mm -hmm. right, and our staff there. Uh, Sarah told him the story and said, like, is this stuff real, and he went, oh, just happens all the time.
2: Oh my God! Yeah.
3: So Walter, Joseph, and everybody went. They went. They found Grace. They kidnapped her out of the nowhere. Mm-hmm. Went to the town. We adopted her as her own daughter, and and now Grace. Well, you've met Grace. Yep. Grace has probably probably got the most loving heart I've ever seen on a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, Um, and she's probably also probably going to go the farthest in university she's that smart. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and doesn't wear any of this stuff, you know, all the abuse and everything. She's just got the most beautiful,
1: sweet spirit. So what does Grace want to do when she grows up?
3: You know, Aaron, honestly, I forget. Yeah. No, it's okay. Yeah. There's a lot of children. You
1: deal with so many children. Yeah. Like she's really smart. (laughs) Yeah. She's really smart.
3: Whatever, whatever she wants to do. Yeah. Yeah, whatever she wants to. It, it'll it'll definitely be something in the caring industry, mm-hmm. uh, something with philanthropic.
2: And you know. the, and when Walter would go, you mentioned someone else. Who did you say to go get Joseph? To Right. Yeah. 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 He. Yeah. So I wanted. To, I wanted the comments on the security team there. You got to see <laughs> these. These you were guys are great.
1: About the Maasai, uh, right?
2: Well, I, I don't think they were. I thought they told me they were Maasai. They're not Maasai. No, so not maybe Masai. I was being lied to as a joke. But okay. But they know how to like shoot arrows, like literally pinpoint accurate with. <laughs> bows and pieces of wood made up like literally looks like a a twig you would find out here
3: and you can't pull the bow back no yeah and i can't and i'm a bow hunter
2: so when i was there six months ago um we were all having a friendly like little shooting contest with these bows you did really well yeah i did i don't want to brag but (laughs) um sammy who grew up in a like sammy is the what is he the father basically of the two orphanages what is he called the Sammy, Sammy, Sammy. What yeah. is he? What is he for the orphanages in Kenya?
3: Oh, like our new Sammy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's he, well. He is the. He's
2: like the. He's the Kenya director. Exactly. Yeah. Um, he, I didn't know this guy grew up in like literally grew up going to school under a tree, just like Jim was saying before, and hunted like for every single meal, pretty much. It's cr- it's such a shocking experience to see someone who literally grew up bow hunting for every single meal and like gutting everything. Anyways, we're we're shooting at this water bottle that's like 150 yards away. Yeah. And and we're all like five, six shots in. we're like nobody's going to hit this thing. Sammy's like, "I think I could hit it." This guy run, sprinting like a Spartan jumps, he's 55, jumps, lets the bow go, and just nails this thing first shot with a bow he's never used in his life. It was like, holy shit. And like, that's part of the, he's not even part of the security team. And yeah. that's what he did. Uh, One of the nights I was there, someone was like r- rummaging around outside the walls, and the security team, <laughs> they, 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 they fired some shots made the guy run away but like they are no joke you do not want to accidentally no. break into this ground that's so that's the story i didn't want to get into details oh, but, oh you know the story yeah oh, okay <laughs> yeah. they shot
3: they shot a guy okay
2: <laughs> yeah. i slept like a baby through the whole thing but they <laughs> they got
3: him <laughs> yeah but he got away
2: yeah, well, that's good. It I don't was want of, them to. There's uh, a lot of
3: blood, but he yeah. got away. Yeah. He he won't ever steal corn again.
2: Oh, yeah. I don't think he'll ever eat corn again. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I, I, just seeing that, and then Sammy was talking about how growing up. He would literally swim across. Like, so part of the experience on these trips is like they he takes or not you you don't come, but we like part of the um, group goes on a safari, mm-hmm. and Sammy ended up coming with us. And on the safari, there's a river about 150 feet wide loaded with hippos and crocodiles, like African crocodiles and hippos. I mean, it's nuts. Like you wouldn't even want to get close to the edge because you're like, if I fall in there, there's no chance. Well, it's,
1: it's, if, my, if my dad tells me there's leeches in the lake, yeah, I won't yeah. go in the lake. <laughs> you know what Sammy, I mean? Like, in, in comparative, dude, comparatively to that. Like. Sammy
2: is eyeing this river up and I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I think I'm going to go for a swim later. Like he's staring at, staying at a Marriott. Yeah. <laughs> like he's <I'd>
1: figuring, <laughs> what was he doing? Like figuring out where it was yeah, safe He's like, to if swim? I
2: take this and I go down, if I can avoid, I just hit the crocodiles on the head. I'm like, are you mentally insane? He's like, what are you talking about? Like I swam in rivers like this all the time growing up. And it's just like, that is that that mindset i there's could there's a never, depth of
1: knowledge that they have oh of nature man that like it's uncompre like comprehensible I mean, for us <laughs> yeah
2: like the, that's crazy it really is shocking that's but. crazy yeah anyways that was my little story about the security team and how <laughs> powerful well, they a, are it's an
1: integral part right? yeah, yeah
2: they really and the kids get along with them so well it's crazy it's almost like they look up to them like the protectors. Yeah. Like they are hanging out with them, high-fiving them. Play, They'll play soccer with them. It's really cool. Mm-hmm, it's yeah. very good. Like most times you walk into a building and the security is like, Oh, uh, what am I doing here? There it's like, <laughs> everybody's a family. Yeah. yeah.
3: Everybody raises the kids. Everybody's a dad. Everybody's a mom and everybody works together and everybody plays together.
2: And yeah, and we've spent most of the time focusing on Baba Nubani, but horizon is expanding and I just want you to like go into a little bit of detail what countries it is, like what has to happen for a country to be on board with expansion. And then I remember you, I'll let you explain those and then I want to get into detail about something you told me about the Guatemala one that was shocking. Okay.
3: Um, Yeah. So in Kenya, we have three pieces of property right now that we have different things going on. And um, and and then we have moved to Guatemala, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we and we have a site there that we are now just starting to bring kids in. Now COVID has caused a lot of trouble, right? Uh, and then we um, have a five million dollar build out in Honduras. So there's a home for three hundred kids. There's a hospital. There's a school. I mean, On your, we didn't build it. We didn't build Guatemala. You inherited it. We inherited Guatemala. See, it seems to be the new thing that people have a great idea that they're going to build children's homes, and then they realize they don't know how to run them. Yeah. <laughs> so they call us, and we get some really good deals. Right. Yeah. So that's how we got both of them. Um, but the interesting story about Honduras was, uh, look at we're not we're not approving any more orphanages. Right on. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they said, and so our president said, well you might want to hear our story before you say that. And so anyway, long story short, when saw the government, we do micro communities. This is how we do. This is, we build farms, you know, we're self sustainable, all that stuff. Uh, look at our kids in Kenya. Most of them are in university. So the government said, you're in right. We were expecting a a little kids home and kick them out. Right. And then, and then the interesting thing was the government said, Hey, um, How many kids can you take? And we said, well, what are you thinking? And they said, well, we have 6,000 children right now living in prison. And we were like, why are they living in prison? They go, because it's the only place we can protect them. But it's prison. And they said, how many of them can you take because they're in prison right now? And that's what we're facing right now in Honduras.
2: And so was it just prison? Or were they, I think you also said they were sleeping on burial sites because that's... Oh, no, that's that's the, that's the Guatemala. Guatemala, okay. That's the one I heard as
3: well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah
2: right. Yeah. Like because, that was shocking.
1: Uh, Their religion won't allow them to be harmed in a burial site?
3: Well, you're a very smart young man, Eric. Thank you. Yes. Most people can't figure that out. Thank no, you. what it is is... Yes, you're right. So the first time we went to Guatemala, I, you know me. I don't want to see the buildings. The hopeless wanderer. I I want, I want, I, where, where are the kids at risk? Mm-hmm. I want to see them. So we had to go with an organization, Viva, uh, who are the best in the world at this stuff. And, and they, they said, we'll take it. And I'm expecting to go into deep inner city world, whatever. And we end up in this burial tombs, which are, are like a mausoleum. It's a building. Mm-hmm. And you slide the bodies in yeah. like, like, you know, those things. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, and uh, so we pull up, and we go we stop at a store. We get, like, tons of pizza. We get 19 bottles of that huge Coke, right, yeah. cups and all that. And we pull up, and it just looks like a bomb went off in the First World War. Like, there is just mausoleum and death and nothing. yeah and, he, and then all of a sudden, one of the guys from Viva in Spanish yells out, it's us, you're safe. And you see out of these little catacombs, these little teeny heads sticking out. And as soon as they see us and they see white guys again, the walls come alive with these kids coming out and running and hugging us and holding us. And and we sat down and had pizza and uh, with them. And I, I can tell this story. I don't know if I'm supposed to, but this is a podcast. Mm-hmm. But um, first question is, what's going on? Why are they, you know? Are they well, there? over there, Everybody is very religious and superstitious and with a little tie-in of Satanism and witchcraft. It's all melted together, it's weird. Well, the thing is, the cops want the kids because they sell them. The gangs want the kids because they want to run the sex trade, right? But neither will come into the cemeteries because they're afraid of spirits from the past in the cemeteries. They are afraid if they go in and drag the kids out the spirits from the past will come back and curse them. So the, san- the the cemeteries are sanctuaries for these children. Wow. And so that's where they live.
2: And how old would you say the kids are? The youngest
3: now? one, I have pictures on my iPhone. Um the youngest one that I had pizza with was 2. I would say the average age would be Well, you you it's 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 Megan, you and Jamie. Right. It's a 3-year-old little yeah. girl, a 5-year-old boy and a 6-year-old little girl. It's, it's whole families of kids. Wow. Yeah.
2: And what, and like they're, are they orphan children or is it just maybe the?
3: They're, yeah. Now in Kenya, it's predominantly AIDS. Yeah. Right? So they still, in the rural parts, they still got some really whacked ideas. Like if you've got AIDS and you're going to die, you have to sleep with a virgin. If you sleep with a virgin, your AIDS will go away. What? Oh, yeah. 100%. Come on. 100%. So you can see how it's passed on. Yeah. And rape. Jeez. And rape is propagated, right? Right. In Honduras and Guatemala, it's drug cartel, uh, corruption, m- murders like crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to come and work for us or you die. Mm-hmm. You're dead. Yeah. And just whole families are left. Right. Yeah. So that's, Silver or lead,
1: I think they, they say down there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Silver or lead, yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah, so that it's a different, it's a different orphan child. It's, it that is more violent mm-hmm. than a p- parent's getting sick and just slowly passing away in front of you, turning mm-hmm. to dust. Yeah.
2: So you ever like with those orphanages? I guess the security would have to be a little more intense, or are you off the grid enough? Where it's like
3: where we are, we're off the grid. It's getting there and leaving. Um, so now we are contemplating. Like, I, I'll go to I'll go to Kenya a hundred times a year. All by myself, travel all by myself and feel fine. Yeah. I mean, they have a high respect for Westerners. Right. And they even protect them. Right? And they know that if they loot a canyon, they'll go to jail.
2: Loot a Westerner.
3: Loot a Westerner, they could get killed. Right. It's, oh wow. Yeah. It's the way it is. But so over there, uh, the big thing is is uh insurance. So my my um I was just with my cousin on the weekend, Reunion Island Coffee, and uh, they have coffee farms, or they work with coffee farms in Honduras and Guatemala. They have to send over their salespeople, right? Because they have to get the story, they have to do all the marketing. Mm -hmm. They have have kidnap insurance on all of them. Holy. So when they get kidnapped, the insurance company takes over. They do all the negotiating, they do the rescue, they do everything. So we're gonna have to do something like that.
2: Yeah. and i'm going
3: and and we can pack <laughs> and i'm though. going we can pack in guatemala and honduras you can't pack in uh,
1: in uh, kenya
2: i think a, man like pack heat you the cra- diane don't listen to this show yeah that's she doesn't the, don't worry she doesn't
1: that's <laughs> one of the craziest idea the idea of kidnapping insurance to me like just never of hearing about it before thanks for the it's invite such, Jim. Well, it's just such a
2: <laughs> you said you wanted to go yeah, i didn't know i had to bring a gun <laughs> i guess that's what it feels oh, like to be man. american right
1: yeah it's just the i like i don't even know how to describe it i'm 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 speechless it seems so foreign here
2: especially in a country where like canada where it's like there's no way you would go out and bring a gun with you anywhere let alone be worried about getting abducted
1: look i walk around the streets of lakeshore four in the morning like just because <laughs> yeah. i can't sleep yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Is that, that's not even close to an option you
2: could it's walk crazy. around baba nubani in kenya easy what like at night and they'd be like what the heck is this guy doing out here this is but yeah i i can't attest to what it's i know for a fact i've been to brazil and that was the place where i'm like it it's shocking like just how they look at you um and you, you'd feel a little unsafe i'm not gonna lie yeah. That's just the a, it's a very dangerous country and a lot of people know that obviously. I mean, that and that would be my closest taste to also like if you're in Mexico, you get a taste of that narco, narco life where it's like you just see tanks and men with machine guns. So I don't know if it's like that. It's almost extreme. normalized. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's almost normalized. Yeah. Um but that is crazy. I mean, what yeah. kind of gun do I have to <laughs> like a paintball gun? <laughs> uh, no,
3: no. You, you don't have to pack. We we'll we we'll have security
1: so (laughs) we've heard a lot of really eye-opening stories today uh we're at about an hour and a half we don't want to keep you too long um but we are doing this uh 53 hour podcast and um obviously it's going to be a little bit of a struggle for me and luke to get through 53 hours but it's not even close to the struggle that (laughs) these kids have to go through on a day-to-day basis Um, so we're going to be making a gofundme page and we're going to be putting the link underneath this video and no no, no
2: we're gonna put the lit we want people uh, the go fund me will be during the 53 yep. hour podcast but for this one i guess just like we'll where do people the, reach out where do people go to well look i have the
1: uh, i have the website open here um is there is a there is a well yeah there's a, a donate button it seems very user friendly so yeah. it's empower dot um, and there's a little button right up top uh, if you want to donate if you want to sponsor a child and again uh, this is all um, this is all for a good cause and I hope you've learned a lot about
2: I want I want to add one more thing before sure. before we write it off the money that goes to the children a hundred percent of it goes towards the children correct yeah
3: yeah okay a- another another thing that we do at horizon is um, is, the administration, every, every organization has an administration fee. It's just the way the world goes. Yeah. So what we decided at the inception of uh, building the organization is that donors would never cover administration costs. So then we came up with, okay, how are we gonna pay our admin bill? So basically what we do is to sit on our board, cost you 24 grand a year. And so the board members pay for all the admins. So when wow. you when you give a dollar, it's a whole dollar goes yeah. right to that child.
2: And I think that's very important for our viewers to know yeah, they, when they are putting money towards this cause. cause it's going
1: straight to the children like Doris. It's going straight to the children like yeah. Grace. It's going straight to the children like Pamela that we've heard about over this last hour and a half. Um, and I don't know it if you have a heart if it didn't touch you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because that was, it's unbelievable to hear. You, Some of the things that go on. Oh
2: yeah, you, you got to see Jim. Well, I've seen Jim speak in front of conference rooms full of business people who they're just not expecting to get hit like that, and they're like their heads turn, everyone shuts up, and like I want to thank you very much for coming. Yeah,
1: thank you so much to our place. You're a busy guy. You have a lot of important all things the way that
2: to L.A. <laughs> yeah, you're um, a busy man.
1: Yeah, and I hope we can uh, help out any way we can. Yeah, uh, with with this, um, hopefully the people are inspired to donate and uh, thank just. I don't even know how to end it. Something, <laughs> yeah. that, well, something that this let, is. Let, yeah. let
3: me let me throw something in. Is sure. Is it's just as important to us at Horizon, and especially to me. And I always say to people, we don't want your money. We don't need your money. We do. Yeah. The more money I get, the more of those kids I can get out of prison in Honduras. That's a fact, right? Yeah. But that's not our heart. Our heart is it's a privilege to serve with two young men like you today on this podcast and engage as a team. Mm. That's what we're about. Um, and maybe you can tell the people how they can get a hold of you guys or Luke or even me, because yeah, we want to help, but we're, we're raising up now horizon Canada yeah. and we want is a bunch of young hearts and minds with ideas on how do we engage in this cause our way, and my job now at sixty-four years old is to empower the next generation to start to dream. So we just don't want sponsorships. We just don't want donations, although we need them. Mm-hmm. What we want is partners. And I think my joy would be that I see young people engaging, and a year from now saying it's the best thing that's ever happened in my life. Mm-hmm. And this is this is what I'm. This is whether you're with Horizon or not. But you're engaged in doing something and finding life yourself. So we want so much more than just donations right. and stuff like that. But they need to know how to get a hold of yeah. whatever.
2: Yeah, raising the awareness. I yeah, mean, so how do you do that? Go to the Instagram page. <laughs> yeah follow the, that
1: yeah the la podcast uh if you want to contact us uh it's the luke and aaron podcast at gmail.com we if you want to contact page. us we can get you in contact with but Jim. E-
2: even horizon they have an instagram page follow that mm-hmm. i mean they're posting daily almost
1: yeah, so. there's contact information as well on the empowered the um uh yeah and anything you need is right here on the website and we'll uh, we'll put it on the screen there for yeah, you yeah i
2: like to think i know quite a bit so if you actually have any like information you need. I'm sure I can help you. And you he hear ha- that army.
3: And I have no problem talking to anybody. So yeah. If and I, I, if I you say, Hey, there's a group I want you to meet. Yeah. I'll meet you. Totally. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Great. And th- we have a lot of fun and a lot of laughs on this podcast. <laughs> this, this is probably the most, like the most meaningful podcast that we've ever put out. And I thank you for that. Thank yeah, you thank for you, being Jim. here. And uh, it was really eye-opening. It was a really awesome discussion. So thank you so much Thanks, for Jared. being here. Thanks, Luke. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Army. That's it. Woo!